Okay, our, our verse this week is Romans 1, verse 20. It says, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. That's Romans chapter 1 and verse 20. And we're going to be uh, hearing and discussing today, Does God Exist? Divine Design. Divine Design. And uh, <clears throat> we, may, we may hit over some of the things that we talked about last week, but let's get right on into our study. All right, what we're going to do now is move on into Lesson 3, and this is going to talk also about God existing. It's the second argument for the existence of God. We call this divine design. So we're still in point two, does God exist? And in future nights, we're going to get into uh, miracles. We'll talk about miracles. I won't do miracles. I'm going to have Derwin come in and do some miracles. I'm just going to talk about them. And then uh, we'll get into the New Testament in May. Uh, so next week, we're going to be back talking about uh, miracles and evolution and that kind of thing. But right now, we're still talking about does God exist? And this is called the teleological argument, the argument from design. And it goes back to William Paley's argument that if you found this watch in the woods, would you think it was made by natural law? You know, you're just kind of walking along in the woods and you see a diamond-studded Rolex and you pick it up and you go, I don't need to turn this in. This was made by the wind and the rain. No. Well, it turns out that every watch implies a watchmaker. Well, both the universe and life appear to be designed and to a much greater degree than a watch is designed. And we're going to look at the universe first because we just got talking about how the universe exploded into being out of nothing. And let me make a couple of quick uh, adjustments to what I said before. Uh, When I said the second law of thermodynamics shows that the total amount of energy Uh, is being used up in the universe, what it means is energy, the total amount of energy stays the same, but the amount of usable energy is decreasing. So the proportional amount of usable to unusable continues to change to ultimately you run out of energy completely. I'm not saying energy goes out of existence. I'm saying it's being used up into unusable energy. Also, someone had a question uh, before or during the break about quantum causality and all this. The short answer to the quantum causality thing, and we talk about this in the book, is when some atheists saying, well, the universe could have popped out of ex- uh, into existence out of the quantum vacuum, the quantum vacuum is not nothing. The quantum vacuum is something. It's a sea of fluctuating energy. Who created the quantum vacuum? Okay, There's a beginning to space, matter, and time. It wasn't a quantum vacuum. It wasn't swirling mathematical points. It wasn't... It wasn't positive and negative energy. It was nothing. No space, no matter, no time, what rocks dream about. And this universe came into existence. And it did come into existence with extreme design. In fact, as we look here at the universe, we're going to see a principle that some scientists call the anthropic principle. What's the anthropic principle? That the universe is highly fine-tuned for human life to exist. In fact, it's highly fine-tuned even for us to have chemistry Because there would be no universe, not just universe with life, but if certain constants or factors about the universe were altered slightly, there wouldn't even be galaxies. There wouldn't even be the ability to have heavier elements. So the universe is highly fine-tuned to be here and also also highly fine-tuned for life. The anthropic principle, anthropos meaning man or mankind. Universe highly fine-tuned for mankind. 
And uh, we'll start again with our favorite atheist here, Stephen Hawking, who put it this way with regard to the expansion rate of the universe. He said, if the expansion rate of the universe was different by one part in a thousand million million, a second after the Big Bang, the universe would have collapsed back on itself or never developed galaxies. If you were to change the expansion rate, that infinitesimal amount, we wouldn't be here. In fact, the expansion rate right now is highly fine-tuned. Einstein talked about a cosmological constant. He had the wrong cosmological constant. There is a a real cosmological constant, which is somehow causing the universe to accelerate. The universe is accelerating right now. We don't know why. Some scientists are calling it dark energy. We just don't know why, but the universe is speeding up. So there's going to come a point in time, unless God intervenes, we're not even going to be able to see the next galaxy because things are receding out. By the way, this answers the claim that many say, well, couldn't the universe collapse back on itself and then reemerge again? No. The best data we have now shows that the universe will expand forever to heat death. So it's not a cyclical thing. But think about that infinitesimal change. We wouldn't even be here if somebody didn't fine-tune the expansion rate. The precision right now of the gravitational force, if it were altered by one part in 10 to the 40, we wouldn't be here. What's one part in 10 to the 40? It's hard to get our minds around that, so let me give you a couple illustrations. If the universe is 13.7 billion years old, do you know how many seconds that is? That's 10 to the 17 seconds. What's the difference between 10 to the 17 and 10 to the 18? 10. What's the difference between 10 to the 18 and 10 to the 19? 10. You're adding another zero. We're at 10 to the 40 here. 10 to the 40. That's one with 40 zeros following it. Now, how precise is that? Take a tape measure and stretch it across the entire known universe. That's a long way. Set the gravitational force at a particular inch mark on that tape measure. I know gravity is not measured in inches. This is just to give you a scale idea in your mind what we're talking about here. If you were to move the strength of gravity one inch in either direction, we wouldn't be here. That's 1 in 10 to the 40 precision. I don't have enough faith to believe that that just happened by chance. It takes more faith to believe it happened by chance and to say there's got to be a designer, a fine-tuner out there. In fact, there's only three possibilities for this. Chance, physical necessity. In other words, it had to be this way. It doesn't. That gravitational force does not have to be at that, le- at that level. It does not have to be that factor, but it is. Or design. seems to me design is the inference to the best explanation. It's not chance. It's not physical necessity. We're left with design. By the way, it's not just the gravitational force constant and the expansion rate of the universe that's highly fine-tuned. We even have a habitability argument with regard to our solar system, that it's just right for us to exist. Where are we in the solar system, by the way? There we are, third rock from the sun, right? If we were just a little bit closer to or a little bit further away, we wouldn't be here. A little bit closer to, we'd burn up. A little bit further away, we'd freeze. We are what scientists call the Goldilocks zone. It is not too hot. It is not too cold. It is just right. The axial tilt, 23 and a half degrees. Change that slightly, we don't exist. Earth rotation, 24 hours. Change that slightly, we don't exist. The size and distance of the moon from us, if you were to change that slightly, we wouldn't exist. If Jupiter was not in its current orbit, we wouldn't be here. Why not? What does Jupiter do? Jupiter's gravitational force is so strong, it acts as a cosmic vacuum cleaner. 
to attract many of the meteors and space junk to it rather than us. You may have seen recently in the news that scientists believe there might be a big asteroid that's going to hit the world, Earth, in 2040. I'm rooting for Jupiter. <laughs> in fact, take a close-up look at Jupiter. Do you know what those purple marks are right there? You know what those are? Those are comet fragment strikes that are bigger than the Earth. Thank God for Jupiter. Because <laughs> if Jupiter wasn't there, we wouldn't be here. The same thing is true with Saturn. You want to get an idea of the size of Jupiter? Check this out. There's Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, Neptune, Earth. Look at poor Pluto down here. Do you know Pluto recently has been demoted as a planet? I don't know about you, but I think it's size discrimination. <laughs> Take a look at this. You can hardly see Pluto. All right, take a, take a look at this now. That's Arcturus. That's another star in our galaxy. The sun is right here. Jupiter is one pixel in size on this scale. Earth is invisible. Pluto, forget about it. <laughs> okay, keep an eye on Arcturus. You got Arcturus right there? Now take a look at this. Where's Arcturus? There's Arcturus to the left of the white star Regal. See that? That's Antares, another star in our galaxy. The sun is one pixel in size on this. Jupiter is invisible. Earth, Pluto, forget about them. The heavens are awesome. This is just in our galaxy. In fact, if the Earth were the size of a golf ball, Betelgeuse, this one over here, yes, I know it's a movie, but if the Earth were the size of a golf ball, Betelgeuse would be five or six Empire State buildings high. The average distance between stars in our galaxy is 30 trillion miles. All that distance is necessary for us to exist here on Earth. Now, 30 trillion miles. How far is 30 trillion miles? Far. Take you at least two tanks of gas and a Toyota Prius to go 30 trillion miles. That is, if the gas pedal doesn't stick. We were out in the Desert Museum a number of years ago. My wife's uh, parents are from Tucson. They live in Tucson now. We went out in the Desert Museum. Anyone here from Tucson? All right. You live there, Tucson. Nice place. But they have a Desert Museum that you can go to at night, and it's kind of a ways away from the city, so it, there's no city lights. And you can see forever up into the heavens. It's amazing. We could see satellites in orbit. In fact, uh, the guide who was out there said, hey, if we look up at 903, you know, it's such a clear night, we'll see the space shuttle in orbit. I said, space shuttle? We're not going to see the space shuttle. I mean, it's 120 feet long. It's 350 miles up. We're not going to see it. Oh, me of little faith. At 903, the guide goes, look! When we look up in the sky about 70 degrees above the horizon, there's an object coming out of the west, streaking across the sky relative to us about like this. I mean, it is really cooking. When it got right about here, it disappeared. I don't know whether Scotty beamed it up or what, but it was just cruising across the sky, and then suddenly it was gone. Now, when the space shuttle is in orbit, it's traveling at about 18,000 miles an hour. 
goes around the earth about once every hour and 15 minutes. That's five miles per second. You got trouble getting to work in the morning? Take the space shuttle. You'll be there. Five miles a second. Think about that. Now, I did a little calculation. I was trying to figure out how long would it take us if we could get in the space shuttle and go from our star, the sun, to another star in our galaxy an average distance away, 30 trillion miles. How long would it take us? Going five miles a second to go 30 trillion miles. How long? Years? Long time, good answer. It would take us 201,450 years. That means if you got in the space shuttle at the time of Christ and started traveling to another star in our galaxy an average distance away, you'd be less than one hundredth of the way there right now. And we're going to explore space. No, we're not. We are not going anywhere in space. Who would like to go to the next nearest star? We'll go. Get in, kids. We're almost there yet, Dad. Another 200,000 years, play some more Xbox. Think about that. And how many stars are out there? The number of stars that are out there are about equivalent to the number of grains of sand on all the beaches on all the earth. And to go from one grain of sand to another grain of sand going five miles a second just in our galaxy will take you over 200,000 years. You see this picture here on the left? That's from the ground. You see that little square right there? That's this square from the Hubble Space Telescope. Those are stars. February 1st, 2003, President of the United States goes into the East Room in the White House. It's Saturday morning, 9 a.m. They turn the TV camera on. Every major network carries his address. Saturday morning, 9 a.m.? Why? president looks into the camera and says, my fellow Americans, this morning our nation experienced a great tragedy. Upon re-entry into the atmosphere, the space shuttle Columbia burned up in the skies over Texas. There are no survivors. The Columbia is lost. The president then went on to quote from Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 25. Why Isaiah chapter 40, verse 25? Because in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 25, God is speaking. And here's what God says. To whom will you compare me or who is my equal, says the Holy One. In other words, you want to know what I'm like? Here's a comparison. Lift your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these stars and named them one by one? Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. The president looked back in the camera and said... The same God that created and named all those stars is the same God that created and knows the names of the seven astronauts who perished today. While they did not return safely home to us, we can all now pray that they've all returned safely home. You want to know who God is? Most Christians have the wrong idea of who God is. We think God is a big angel. God is not a big angel. You want to know who God is? Remove all limits from your mind. That's God. 
If he's an ounce of any attribute, he's infinite in that attribute. If he's an ounce of love, he's infinite love. An ounce of justice, infinite justice. An ounce of power, infinite power. He is the standard by which everything else is measured. Why is there a second commandment? Thou shalt make no graven image. Or one reason why is there a second commandment? Because any image you draw of an infinite being necessarily limits his majesty. You can't draw a picture of an infinite being. An infinite being has no limits. Every picture you draw limits him. That's why the Bible says, if you want to know what I'm like, look to the heavens. When you look to the heavens, what do you see? You see a virtual infinite expanse. That's the point. Psalm 103, verse 11 says, God's love to those that fear him exceeds the height of the heavens above the earth. How high are the heavens above the earth? Number of stars equivalent to grains of sand on all the beaches on all the earth. 200,000 years between those stars at five miles a second. Infinite. That's the point. The heavens declare the glory of God. Look to the heavens. His invisible qualities are clearly seen so that men are without excuse. You know there's a creator when you look at a creation. Although some don't look at it that way. In fact, I just mentioned there are three possibilities for this fine-tuning. There's chance, there's physical necessity, and there's also design. I think the first two are too hard to believe. You say, well, what do atheists say about this? Let's take a look at Richard Dawkins from his book, The Blind Watchmaker. And right in the middle of this book, he sums it all up for us. He says, here's the central argument of my book, pages 157 to 158. He says, the appearance of design is overwhelming. Is it overwhelming to you too? When you look at this design, it sure appears to be design. By, by the way, Dawkins even says this is about biology. He says, biology is the study of complicated things which give the appearance of having been designed for a purpose. Aren't we supposed to be scientists, like observing things and then drawing conclusions? If it appears to be designed for a purpose, maybe it is. I mean, if it walks like a duck, talks like a duck, squawks like a duck, it might be a A duck! So Dawkins admits, with regard to the universe, the appearance of design is overwhelming. But then he says there's no explanation for this design in physics. In fact, during one of the debates he had with John Lennox, he got a question from the audience. And the audience went like this. Dr. Dawkins, where did the laws of physics come from? And Dawkins said, well, I, I have no idea. But bringing God into it doesn't help. Well, I actually think bringing God into it does help. Why? Why is the universe so orderly? Why are these natural forces so predictable and precise? Why can we send a rocket from the earth and put a man on the moon? Why can we put a little rover on Mars? Because we can predict with precision how these laws are going to affect our spaceship. Why is that? This appears to be the product of a mind, not the product of randomness. In fact, you wouldn't even know what randomness was unless you knew what order was. 
This universe appears to be ordered, highly fine-tuned. It's balanced on a razor's edge. Any one of a number of factors were different, we wouldn't be here. I mean, the anthropic principle, it's as if there is a control room somewhere in the universe, and there's all these dials. Some say scores of dials. Some say more than that, even if it's just 10. All these dials set to precisely the right level. And these dials, by the way, are interconnected. If you go in and turn one of them, the whole universe would go out of existence. Or we wouldn't have a universe where we could have galaxies. It appears there's some mind behind this. But you know what Dawkins says? You know what his explanation for this is? And I'm not making this up. This is out of the book. You can come up here and get the book and read it for yourself. If you think I'm making this up. Here's what he says. Maybe the multi-universe theory which relies on, what word is that right there? Luck. Now is luck a cause? Even if you're Irish, is luck a cause? No, luck is not a cause. Luck is a word we use to cover our ignorance. Things don't happen by luck. There's always a cause. And Dawkins is saying, well, maybe we just happen to be in the universe which appears to be designed, even though it really isn't. And this is called the multi-universe theory. Okay, This is what atheists are coming up with now. That there are many universes out there, and we just happen to be in the universe that looks designed even though it really isn't. Is there any evidence for this? No. It's just a backhanded way of saying, wow, the universe looks really designed, but we're not going to imply a designer. We're going to come up with this speculation to explain it. Here's one of the main problems with it. Even one of the advocates of what's called the multi-universe theory admits, his name is Alexander Vilenkin, I quoted him earlier, admits even if there are other universes out there, the whole show, all the universes together require an absolute beginning. So you don't get rid of the need for an absolute beginner. There was a beginning, even if there are other universes out there. So this doesn't help Dawkins. He has faith that this is the answer. One day we're going to find a natural cause. No, you're not going to find a natural cause for all of nature. And then he, his big retort is, who made God? We already pointed out that that's a bad question because if God is timeless and outside the universe, he didn't have a beginning, so no one made him. It's like asking a bachelor, what's your wife's name? Okay? Doesn't make any sense. God is the uncaused first cause. But this is the kind of thing that atheists are saying. Now, we just looked at what caused the universe. Now we're going to look at what caused life. And now we're transitioning seamlessly, I might add, right into lesson four. You guys ready to go? All right, lesson number four. Does God exist? We're still in the teleological argument. We're now talking about the origin of life. Good one. That's good stuff. There's our other microphone, so if anybody else talks, you've got to be able to get that on the recording. Check. If you want to talk, ask for the microphone. Good stuff there. So, what was something that you heard 
in that part of the teaching that just kind of blew your mind? I think the universe is so cool about if the earth goes just one way, just an inch to the sun, will burn up or otherwise freeze. I think that's really cool. Somebody else? That there were stars that were bigger than the sun. That, yeah. Because I did not know that. There's probably bigger stars than that. Do this. So we don't really have to have this. All the way. Yeah, a lot bigger than the sun. Pluto, of course, is a little bitty thing. He made that clear. Maybe that's why it lost its, its, its uh, status as a planet. What else? Somebody else. What's something else that you heard or saw that just was like, whoa? The time it takes to travel. How long did he say it would take us? Uh, 200 something thousand years, yeah. Space shuttle at five miles per second. You realize how fast the space shuttle goes around the Earth? Did y'all realize that? How fast it's constantly traveling around the Earth? Yes, Harmony. I did not know there was like stars bigger than the sun. It was like, wow, never saw. So did y'all get that when when he, he showed a picture of all these stars and then this little bitty square, and then it had that other picture off to the side of it, which was blue and you saw a little bit better, that little bitty square was that picture off to the side. Yeah, so that that was the Hubble, uh, Hubble Space Telescope, that little square looking out uh, further into the distance, and that's what it was seeing, just in that little bitty square. So you're saying that all the stars that were in that little, it was in that little spot, right? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. So there's really even more than you even see in the bigger picture. Right. So you see this big picture that's really white and got all these stars in it, and then there was that little square. Well, the the square off to the side was just what that little square is seeing. I, mean, I think what's cool is that he knows each one by name, or he named each one. I mean, you you got to think, even the scripture where he knows the number of the hairs of our head, and think of how much that is. And then to even think about that, I just think that puts in perspective how big God is and how much he cares for us, you know, that we're even greater than than even that. So, Yeah, I like how he said, you know, who's God? He's not, he's not some big angel. He says, clear your mind of any impossibility that who that is who God is. He could just sit there and just say, hey, this is what I want right here. I think I think that's really interesting because we do put God in a box a lot of times. That how could God do this? God do that? And that's one of the reasons we want to study. When we we want to study apologetics, is to help us understand our faith better and understand that our faith in God is not just based on on a hope or a luck. It's not just I have faith in God because I believe. I have faith in God because there's too much out there that makes it beyond a reasonable doubt not to believe. Mm -hmm. 
not to believe would be say, let's throw all of the facts out there that show for a for a designer, for a creator, let's throw all that away. And that's of course that's what we were talking about today. Does God exist? Divine design is what we're talking about today was the divine design <clears throat> or the fingerprint of God. So he was talking about fine-tuning of the universe. There's um, only three possibilities. There's, there's chance, you know, just happens, or physical necessity, or design. And the probabilities are so small, they're really too small to reasonably believe that fine-tuning is a result of chance. And it was 10 to the 40th, is that right, power? Um, that if it changed that much, he said, if you take a ruler across the universe uh, that we that we know of, the universe that we know of, that if you moved, if you decided at one spot that that was where gravity was, and you moved it one inch, it would be too much or too little. I think it's, it's something that's very interesting when we listen to the news constantly on a daily basis. Uh, there's you know uh, there's this push out there that. We as humans control the atmosphere. We as humans control how much the earth cools or how much it, it uh, warms, those kind of things. And then you see that huge sun right there that if we got any closer, the, I mean, just a little bit closer, we would just the earth would burn totally up. And if we got just a little bit further away, we would freeze. And we think that we as humans actually can control, uh, we can control all this stuff. And in, to me, it, it makes it easy to prove that it's, it's almost impossible for us to control. People say all the time, you know, well, you know, we're, it's heating up, it's heating up. Well, the only way it can heat up is if the sun heats us up. Also, and, you know, back in the 70s, it was, all oh, we're cooling down, we're going into an ice age. Well, the only way that we could do that is if we get away from our heat source, which is the sun. And the Lord didn't just create a place that that we as humans can control that easily. We need to be conservationists, meaning we need to take what God has given us and we need to do the right thing and and not you know not throw our trash out and, and make make things look bad. And we could see what that's done in some of the other third world countries, but at the same time, God controls all this. Uh, he talked about the anthropic principle, and it's a scientific observation that the universe is precisely fine-tuned. So when we talk about, if you hear that term, anthropot, anthropic principle, that's when we're talking about that it's fine-tuned. Uh, Stephen Hawking, who is an atheist, he, even, he was the one who said about the precision of fine-tuning the expansion rate of the universe, how the universe, he said that if the expansion rate of the universe were different by one part in one million million, that the universe would collapse back on itself or ne never uh, developed galaxies. So this is an atheist, and that's what he was saying, why it's so difficult, and that's why the name of the book and the name of the the, the lessons here, the, the study is, I, ha I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. Why? Because it takes so much faith. It's, it takes so much faith to, uh, even for an atheist to come out and say, well, pretty much this looks like a designer, but there's no designer. And the only reason they say that is because they don't want somebody, a God, uh, that's going to control them, that they're going to have to look to. Now, <clears throat> many atheists claim that if Darwinism is true, that is evolution, then there's no need for God. And we're going to be looking at the next two lessons that Darwinism does not even appear to be true. 
However, if it were true, that would not put God out of a job because it still requires a designer. Even, even if evolution, uh, origin of species, and everything were true, which is there's not really a whole lot of proof that, there, that it is, even though you have a lot of younger, especially the millennials and the Gen Zers, uh, the Christians, they're trying to marry uh, creator, divine, divine creation, but at the same time evolution because they've grown up in that. The public schools teach that. It's really hard to put those two together. Um, some atheists try to, try to counter the theistic implications. Remember, theistic means God implications of the anthropic principle, which was the uh, universe is precisely fine-tuned for life here on earth, and uh, namely that there are an infinite number of universes out there, and we just happen to be one that can sustain life, and it appears designed, <clears throat> but actually is not. So they say, well, it appears to be designed, but it's not, but we're the only one that we have found so, so far that can sustain life. There is a... Uh, another picture, I wish I had it, but where it pulls back and it shows right where the earth is in our um, galaxy. And if the earth wasn't exactly where it was, that the threat of it being um, being destroyed by, you know, other uh, stars would be highly likely and it, and it wouldn't survive. That's one of the things he talked about. And this is what's so cool about having an understanding a designer, which is God. He talked about the the planet. Um, what was the planet's name? Forgotten, huh? Jupiter, the planet Jupiter, that has such a um, a gravitational force that it keeps everything from hitting the Earth. It's like you know God puts all this in order. Now. Remember what we talked about in lesson one or two. We can believe in the Big Bang, in the in that the Lord spoke it into existence, that all this stuff was created, and that there's even um, evidence out there to support this Big Bang. But we can't. It it takes it takes a lot of faith to believe that not, that something was created out of nothing at all. No creator, no designer, nothing. It just was. One day, a, an explosion happened, which caused the earth, caused everything to line up. I like what one apologist said. He says, if you'll take that watch, he talked about that watch that was laying down. He says, take a watch, disassemble the watch, okay? So we're already given the watch a head start. We've disassembled the watch, and all the pieces are ready to be put in place. Take that watch and put it in a bag. Shake that bag for a 1,000 years. Do you believe that the watch will put itself together and would be keeping time on time? No. And that's that's with it already being created, with, with all of the dials and all of the, the attributes of that watch being created. You're already giving it a head start. So we're saying the universe and, and humans and animals that they weren't given a head start at all. They just they popped into existence um, or, or exploded into existence without anybody or anything else out there. Um, <clears throat> so fine-tuning, that's one of the things that uh, we learned about tonight.
when we look at a building, what does the building tell us about, about an architect? Or, what a, or, or maybe a book. What does the, the book tell us about the author? Yeah, what, what, they, what, what they think, how, how they, if you think of an architect, and you look at the building and you say, well, this is what they think is a good design, right? If you think of an author, um, if you read their books, you know, most, uh, you think of an author, let's say, Frank Peretti, he, he writes mostly books on, on uh, spiritual warfare, right? And, and fictional books on the unseen world around us and how it affects us. Um, if you think of, you know, an author like uh, Dr. David, David Jeremiah, he's gonna, he writes stuff about the Bible. He's going to write more, more uh, stuff about what the, he sees in the scriptures. If you look at, a, say, a, a secular author like John Grissom, he writes uh, thriller or, you know, um, lawyer style books, a lot of stuff like that, you know, murder books, those kind of things. And it goes into how they think. So a building might tell you about what the author likes, or excuse me, what the architect likes, what he dislikes. Because normally an architect, when you call an architect in, they don't come in and it's a oh, well, let's do it like so-and-so down the street or this, that. They come in, they say, this is what I think is going to look great. You think about the World Trade Center when it went down and they brought architects in to design uh, the Freedom Towers. And you look at that, what they think and what, it, what they were thinking in their head, what they think it looks good. Uh, if there's a designer of the universe, how would knowing the designer impact you? If there is a designer... How would it impact you? Yeah, just just what we think towards what they think. Your way are your ways are higher than our ways and your thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Somebody else? there's a designer of the universe how would knowing the designer impact you yeah and so if he says something if he writes a book for instance the bible if you know that there's a designer and that designer wrote the book a designer of the universe and that designer wrote a book or inspired the people to write the book wouldn't it make you want to listen to that and go, hmm. So if he designed this thing, if he created all this stuff, and we looked into the, to the heavens, and there's, there's so many stars out there just like the sands of the sea, if we look up there and we see that and we think about that, maybe I want to listen to what he has to say in his book. Maybe the things that he has to say. Because, you know, we always want to explain things away. Well, I do this because I want to do this because. But if we look at it and we say, you know, instead of explaining it away, Wait a minute, what did God intend for this? What did God intend? And let's take an example today where we have the issue with, you know, genders and, and gender dysphoria and all these kind of things. If we say, what did God, the designer, mean? Would we make a decision based off of that as opposed to, well, you know, uh, like one popular artist says, well, I, I have a lot of people who are like that way and I love them, so I don't know what God uh, thinks about it. 
which, you know, everybody's like, well, why didn't you read your Bible? You write Christian songs. Why don't you read your Bible and you find out? But the same way is if we look at it and we say, well, what did God design? Why did he design it this way? Maybe we should, uh, maybe we should change the way we think because of what the designers, or what the designer was like. So the design and scope of this enormous fine-tuned universe. Remember how many, all the things that are fine-tuned. How many stars are out there? One estimate put it about equal to the number of sand grains on the beaches on all the earth. And the average distance between those stars in the galaxy is 30 trillion miles between each star. 30 trillion. And like you said, are we going to go where no man has gone before? I don't, even if you had warp speed, you know, Scotty and all those guys, I don't think that you could go fast enough to get from point A to point B. The, uh, so the average distance is 30 trillion miles, and all of that distance is necessary for us to exist here on Earth. You get that? How far the sun is from us, how far uh, Jupiter is from us. If we were too much closer to Jupiter, then we, wouldn't we get pulled into Jupiter's gravitational field because of the size of our Earth? Think about that. And remember that distance is five miles per second for 201,450 years to complete the trip between two stars in our galaxy at five miles per second. 201,450 years. In light of these facts, why does God, according to the prophet Isaiah, say this? And I thought this was so good when he when he gave this Isaiah chapter 40 verse 25 through 26 to whom will you compare me or who is my equal says the holy one lift up your eyes and look to the heavens you ever thought about that when you think about God have you ever thought and looked up to the heavens and go yeah who really compares we say that you know we'll read something a lot of times but if you think about it who can compare to a God who created stars and named them all, and there are 30, the average is 30 trillion miles in between each star. Has, have you ever flown in a plane before? And you look down, especially like if you've flown in a two-seater Cessna where you're going a little bit slower than the big planes. But even a big plane, if you've ever looked down and you look down at 20,000 feet, 15,000 feet, whatever, even two or 3,000 feet, you look down at how small the cars and the people are. And you look down and go, man, they look like little ants down there, right? You know? And it's, you know, we don't even go to the Earth's atmosphere, which is what, 350 miles, something like that, I think. He said, we don't even go to the Earth's atmosphere. And we're getting up there and we're looking down. And does have, I know it with me, I would look down and it just makes me go, man, how little are we, really? How do we really matter? Why would God even care? The scripture says that the earth is his footstool. I mean, it's nothing compared to him. But we want to throw him aside or we want to say, no, we can make these decisions. We don't need God in these decisions. We don't have to have God helping us make these decisions. But who, who, who's his equal? Who else compares to him? When we, talk to, to, when we talk to somebody, an agnostic or an atheist or somebody who's just not there with God yet, if you start talking to them about some of these things instead of just saying, well, let me just read Scripture to you, but you say, okay, first off, let me talk to you about the stars. Can we talk about how far it is between each star? Can we talk about the, the fine-tuning of the universe, that if, 
this was off just a little bit, that the gravitational forces would be too much or too little? What about how close to the sun? If you talk about all these things and, and then say, can, you ask, can, can I ask you something? When you see all of this, do you think it just happened with no designer? It just nothing created, created uh, chaos, created order that is continuing to go on and on and on. We're, not, we're in no danger of the of earth burning up or freezing to death or exploding right now. We're just not. We have, a, we have an earthquake somewhere and everybody jumps up and down. Oh, it's earthquakes everywhere. You know, we're all going to die. But really it's centralized. Those earthquakes are centralized or a tsunami is centralized. It doesn't happen to the whole earth. And you think you, you go back, if you think about that, though, the, the flood, which was global, which, which hit the whole earth. And we have so much proof of a global flood. How he was, he was the one who was able to do that, nobody else. God has no limits. Remember, clear your mind of any, of, of any limitations, and you would say, that's God. Psalm chapter 103, verse 11 through 13 Ask this question as I read it. How much does God love those that fear him? How does that make you feel, and how should it affect the way that you live? He says, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, remember, the east and the west do not touch. You, you just go east until it turns into west. You go west till it turns in. You can't, you can't. In the north and south pole, you can get to that, but you can't get, get to the east and in the west pole. It just flips on you. You can never, you can never uh, get to the end of it. As far as the east is and west, so far as he removed our transgressions, our sins from us, as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Now, I ask that question. How much does that, love that God shows to those that fear him. How much does God love those that fear him? It says, as far as the east is from the west, as high as the heavens above. Now, how does that make you feel? How, how should it affect the way that you live, knowing that God loves you that much? Makes you feel clean. takes all of our transgressions. Yeah, a very great God. He that he can do something that amazing. That's good. Yeah. And, and the word fear here means, uh, you know, means that we understand. For instance, when, when a NASCAR driver gets into a race car, he puts on an a, a eight-point harness, okay? He, he locks his harness in, and he drives at the top speed. But why does he lock the eight-point harness in? Not because he's afraid of crashing. But he understands, he fears, he respects that if he does crash, what's going to happen to his body if he's not strapped in? That's the same way with God. 
It's not that we were afraid of him, but that we have a respect of how powerful that he is, that if he wants to, he can snap his fingers and we disappear. If he wants to, he can just crush us in one, one little, I mean, just like an ant, probably less than an ant, just, you know, you're done. And that's what we call fearing God. It's not that we're afraid of him, but we have this utmost respect for him and <clears throat> what he can do because of what he has done. And when we look into the heavens, it says, as high as the heavens are from above the earth, so great is the love of the, the, to those who fear him. And then keeping in mind Psalm 103, and the number of stars in the universe, how high are the heavens above? And from our little perspective, really it's infinite because we haven't even got to the end of our universe yet. We don't even know what the end of our universe is. We continue to look, but we haven't got there yet. From what we can see, it's almost infinite. I mean, if you think of the stars out there, the grain of sand, who's counted the grains of the sand on the seashore? Nobody. In light of this natural revelation, is the natural revelation who God is, is there any rational adult who does not know, uh, does, is there any irrational adult who does not know that God exists? What does the Bible say? It was our scripture verse earlier. It says, For since creation of the world, his invisible attributes, eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen. So do people know that, is there people that do not know that God exists? Everyone knows he exists by natural revelation. What we've said, creative, uh, creation, design, our conscience. Uh, you know, even the atheists, remember that he, he put up there, these renowned atheists are saying, yeah, it looks like that it was created, but it wasn't. See, the point is, an atheist has to, has to come to a point that says, or an agnostic who says, I don't know if God exists or he does exist. They got to come to a point where they say, you know what? I choose not to believe any of the evidence. Instead, I choose to live by faith that he doesn't exist. My belief, my faith that he doesn't exist, that's all the atheist does. The atheist does not say there's not a God because there's evidence that there's not a God. He says there's not a God or the agnostic that there may not be a God because they don't want to believe it. And why? Because they don't want someone ruling over them. They don't want a God that they have to answer to. The scientific evidence that he talked about so far, that we've seen so far, persuaded you and I that things aren't so ordinary, like we talked about all those stars. Y'all were talking about that earlier, that there is a divine designer behind the universe. Would you agree with that, that there is a divine designer behind the universe? Now, astrophysicist, uh, astrophysicist Hugh Ross calculated the probability that fine-tuning of the initial conditions of the universe and another 100-plus conditions of our solar system would exist today for any planet in the universe by chance. The chance of that happening would be one with 138 zeros after it. That's the chance of any planet in our universe 
not just ours, but any planet in our universe, one with 138 zeros. And there are only 10 to the 70 atoms in the entire universe. That's one with 70 zeros after it. Okay? So in effect, there's a zero chance that any planet in the universe would have the life-supporting conditions we have unless there's an intelligent designer behind all of it. And if you go back to the prophecies we talked about a couple of weeks ago in the service, and you combine this, that the chances of this randomly happening are zero, and the chances of one man fulfilling just eight prophecies that Jesus fulfilled, if you remember what I told you, if you took quarters, a half dollars, I can't remember what it is, silver dollars, and you stacked them one foot deep, and you sign it, you blindfold the person and the one, uh, two foot deep across Texas and blindfold them, the chance of them picking that one out, that's the same chance that, that one man can fulfill eight prophecies. Do you, do you see this? The chance of us being here without a creator is almost impossible. And the same thing was with Jesus. It's really impossible, really impossible. And Jesus, it was, in, it was impossible unless it was the man who was supposed to fulfill those prophecies. In light of these calculations, it certainly will take us a lot more faith to be an atheist than a Christian. And so that's why we say it takes, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist because you have to put aside all of these uh, things. It's like going in the courtroom and somebody says, yeah, here's the murder weapon. It had his fingerprints all over it. We've got videotape of it. Uh, he confessed to it. Uh, there was three of the people in the room there that, can, that said that he was the one who murdered him. He told us exactly where he stabbed the person, how he stabbed the person, what time it was. Everything lines up, and then you go, yeah, but I don't think he's the murderer. It's the same way when you say, yeah, I don't think there's a designer, even though there's every which way to show that there is a designer. What can you do for a person who will not accept the evidence? If a person doesn't want to accept the evidence, I want you to remember this. I want you to memorize this. If somebody doesn't want to accept this evidence, it's very easy. It's one question, and this will tell you where they are. If Christianity were true, would you become a Christian? Easy. You'll find out real quickly where somebody is. If Christianity were true, would you become a Christian? If a person goes, no then they're not going to, they, they don't care about evidence. It doesn't matter if it's true or not because they're not going to, they're, they're not going to become a Christian. And uh, if they don't have an answer right then, they may call you when they do have an answer. Say, hey, talk to me about this again. Can you prove Christianity is true? And that's what apologetics is. It's proving, it, it is showing us, it is, it is the evidence that Christianity is real and it is true that God does exist. Now, some atheists express the same unwillingness to accept the most reasonable conclusion regarding the grounding for the laws of logic and our ability to reason. And what do they always say? Atheists always say, well, we're the ones who reason. But then when you bring logic and reasoning, then they say, no, we don't believe that. It's weird. But, uh, I mean, there's few atheists. There's a, I know one atheist group out there, and it's... Uh, in their name is something about reason because they try to, oh, we're intellectual, we can reason. But when you actually reason with intellectual property and apologetics, now all of a sudden it's, it's difficult for them to 
There's really no argument. Um, and there's a couple of uh, videos. We don't have time to watch them that we could throw up there, but we're going to leave those alone. But that, that is what, what we talked about today was, was intelligent design, was a designer. Next week, we're going to be talking about the origin of life. You know, I, I enjoy this. I hope that everybody here is enjoying it, and, and I hope that you continue to enjoy it. Remember that and let people know if anybody misses, if you're talking to people, even if they're not part of the church. So, hey, just go on unlimitedchurch.tv backslash media or unlimitedchurch.tv and slide over to the media page and say, listen to Wednesday night stuff and learn some of this stuff. This is the one thing I believe that we in America and the America Christians where we're losing it. It's because we're not teaching people why they believe, why they should believe. Instead, we're saying, well, here's what the, here, just read the Bible and believe it. But when we have all of the facts and all of the logic and all of this reasoning out there, we need to be able to give that to them also so that they go, oh, remember? The answer to say, why do you believe in God? Well, I have faith. Well, anybody can have faith in anything. I, you know, I can have faith if this forest is, you know, white. It's not white. No matter how much faith I have, it's still whatever color you want to call it. So believe that let's pray we'll be dismissed for the evening. thank you lord for being a great designer and for designing this universe designing us designing the cells the atoms lord uh, the blood that flows through us lord every every aspect of our body thank you lord for 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 just giving us a place to live you know where we can actually survive Lord, even though we probably don't even deserve it, but as the scripture says, as high as the heavens above, so great is the measure of our Father's love. As high as the heavens above, you loved us, and you, you, have, you have cleansed us of our sin and our transgression. Thank you, Jesus. During this, during this season, we just continue to thank you, Jesus, for coming as a baby born in a stable. And I just pray that what we learn here that we can take and we can apply outside of the church, we can apply to other people as we speak to people in our jobs, in our homes, in, in the streets, wherever we are, Lord, that we'll take this, that you'll help it ground in us and give us wisdom, Lord. We give you glory and honor and praise tonight. Keep us safe until we meet again. In Jesus' name, amen.